Welcome to Time to Market, a podcast by Lean B2B and SK Murphy, where we share principles, actionable advice, and rules of thumb for B2B founders. There was a bit of a change of plans this week. We're supposed to talk about strategies to extend a startup's runway, but instead we're going to be looking at some of these uh, startup slogans that uh, get passed around between founders and companies, investors, everyone. So we decided to review a few of them. Do they make sense? What's good about them? What's bad about them? We take a look. Enjoy this new episode. Hello, Sean. How are you today? Good. Great. Uh, so today we wanted to do something a little bit different. So I'm sure you've seen some of these quotes that get passed around that people talk about. We wanted to review some of the main startup posters that people, people are using or quotes that are being passed around for entrepreneurship. See if they make sense, what's good about them, what's bad about them, and maybe have some kind of discussion about them. Does that kind of work for you today? Yeah, that sounds good. Great. Do you have any, any quote here that comes to mind that you want to you run a review? Well, one, one that I see is the fake it till you make it. And I think, I think all of these kind of startup posters contain a kernel, at least, of good advice or good insights. Yeah. And then there are risks in carrying them too far. And I think, I think this satisfies both of those criteria. Yeah, um, that, that risk kind of gets lost somewhat, become problematic. Yes, yes. This is also the model for high-function sociopaths. So, yeah. so, <laughs> so what about fake it till you make it? So I think the truth of it is that you have to, you have to separate your internal fears and doubts from the need to appear some level of confident when you're in negotiations, when you're trying to hire people, when you're trying to sell your product and the like. We can all make a list of 100 reasons why what we're doing isn't going to work and the deal's not going to work, the hire's not going to work out, yeah. all that. But I think you have, to, you have to project a certain amount of confidence that you may not always feel in doing so. I think that, that the risk part is that if you get to kind of a lack of candor, if you're not forthcoming, if you withhold information that the other party learns of later and they believe it was material, then I think you have a problem. I think you have to be, I think you have to be candid and not withhold information that the other party would view to be material to making their decision. Now, sometimes you don't know. So sometimes you tell people a story that you believe is going to happen and you're incorrect. And so I look at that, that's a different, that's a different problem, right? So that to me is the balancing. How do you, how do you overcome some of your internal doubts? I don't know. How well, do so, you look at this? I yeah. Mean, but so how do you relate that to like optimism to some extent? A lot of entrepreneurs are extremely optimistic. So they might actually partially believe that things will work out the way they expect. So when is it, is it acceptable to have self-belief versus where do you draw the line between where it kind of becomes more problematic? So there is an element. What I notice about people in particular experts is they often proceed from a confidence and ability to solve the problem even though they don't see the path in the moment, right? And so I think part of what they do is they keep track of other problems they've solved and they maintain a somewhat objective view of their actual capabilities. They look at the current situation 
as part of a category of problems. And I also think they're alert to the fact if I'm taking on something and I look back into my bag of tricks or my box of Legos and I haven't solved a problem like this before, maybe yeah. I should proceed with less confidence than yeah. if I think this rhymes or fits earlier patterns. So I think there's some estimation of do I have relevant experience, relevant expertise that I think is ultimately going to match into this pattern? Yeah. I do feel there's, there is ethics component to this one specifically. There's clearly people that can sleep really well at night, lying to people constantly that exist. And there's other people that will have difficulty saying things that have not been five times validated, that are not absolute truths that they know are completely accurate. So there's that, that fine line in between, but that fine line kind of moves based on your predispositions to some extent. So I do, I do get how you started this, where you're talking about some people do get into their ads quite a bit. And I do tend to do that personally, where I will look at all the contingency and kind of think through these different options. And it's easy to kind of scare yourself doing this, where you're like, okay, if I, if I do this, it's not going to work. And then you kind of just put some blocker on yourself, actually trying to, to close a sale or trying to get things done with, with customers. So there is that fine line in this, but I do feel like the quote is probably mostly positive in the same sense where it does drive you to try and kind of ends at trying more than you would probably would naturally to some extent, which is probably a very good thing for entrepreneurs. I, I would say one final thing that's misleading about it is it gets harder. So there's this belief that you're somehow going to pass through some Fleming threshold of certification, and then now you've arrived, right? And what I see is that as you scale, the problems, so there is no, there is no actual make it. It's you're just leveling up, right? Yeah. To that point, isn't this more of a, an early stage type thing. Yeah, like, yeah, this you, is right, right. So this is right, like You're right. starting so to have customers, do you keep doing this? Like, like I know there's companies that lie to their customers and they will tell you like, oh yeah, we're working on this. It's not true. But isn't that at some point that you kind of get caught up and things are not as good? Yeah, it can definitely go bad. Hmm. So maybe one that I actually quite like is move fast and break things, which is often associated to Zuckerberg. I do feel it's an interesting idea because it kind of epitomized to some extent the idea that we have of startups that kind of very gritty, you just build things, you ship it and, and it's fine if it breaks things on the way, but that you're, you're trying, you're really trying to hustle to get things done. So it does capture that ethos to some extent of startups or at least that nineties, like eighties type of ethos where you're trying to shipping the velocity at which you ship is more important than, than the actual necessarily stability or solidity of what you're putting together. I do feel there is the motivated motivation aspect there. That's really interesting. It is true that moving fast is critical, especially when you're the smaller companies, because you have a lot more ground to cover. I am not sure about the break things because that could mean a lot of things. And oh, I could say the same thing about move fast, to be honest. So they are very, very simplistic as all these posters are generally. But the idea of the moving fast, it's not just about motion and breaking things. Some of the stuff is not as easily to, if you break it, it can be actually a permanent issue. 
with some of the customers, especially in B2B where the markets are smaller and the types of customers, especially early on, if you're being very niche that you're going after, they can be quite chatty or they can actually lock you out of ever getting that customer account in the future. I think there's some kind of trade-off there in terms of representing what sort of aspired to do versus the actual reality of how they are supposed to work with organizations, especially in B2B. So I think this phrase is more popular with people that develop web apps than are necessarily in the medical implant business, right? <laughs> yes, probably. Yeah. So, so, uh, so I think that's airplanes. Yeah. yeah. Building airplanes. <laughs> so I, I think the thing that this ignores is what's called Chesterton's fence, which is before you're going to tear something down, you might talk to the guy that put it up and understand all the reasons why it's there, because it may seem like it's obsolete and you know, I think traditions are solutions to problems we forgot we had. And you have to be careful that you don't reintroduce problems that your traditions had solved. On the other hand, open heart surgery, at least from what I understand, was developed in the CREA MASH units, the mobile arm of surgical hospital units, because there were serious injuries that the patient, so to speak, wouldn't survive the trip by helicopter for an hour back to a real hospital. So they were faced with some terrible choices. And, and, and in the sense, the situation the patient was facing was serious enough that they would run the risk. So I do think you have to recognize how serious the risks are you're facing. And sometimes you do have to move fast. Sometimes when things are deteriorating rapidly, you can't sit still. Now, the downside of that is that encourages a whole bunch of arsonists to create the quote, burning yeah. platform, right? In other words, the people that say never let a good crisis go to waste tend to be also high function sociopaths. So, <laughs> so I'm kind of getting a pattern in here. In this case, doesn't that kind of captures the importance of a quote like this to some extent where maybe the issue is how how we let the negative outcomes of our experimentation kind of seep into, I guess, the, the problems that are being created in this. Of course, if you're still thinking this way, when you're actually creating the solutions that are used by actual patients, like the stems and things like that, there's clear problems there. But beforehand, is it more about just finding ways to minimize the potential downsides or, or finding ways to still experiment at a really fast speed and kind of be able to try things that are just fresh thinking? Is it more about that kind of mindset versus actually incurring the cost of the actual implementation? Like it does feel like it's it's more early stage thinking where you're more in the experimentation process and kind of inside doing wilder things to some extent, wilder experiments. So one model I like a little better is Dave Snowden's safe fail probes. So the idea is you try something that's got upside, but not much downside. So if it fails, it fails safe, right? Yeah. And I think that's, that's what's ultimately, I'm, I'm happy if you want to move really fast, as long as if you fail, it doesn't cause disproportion. You don't want something where the downside is large and the upside is small. Yeah, that's the idea of like taking the right amount of risk when you're doing bets so that you're not just basically doing minor increments. You're trying to 
maybe swing for the fence, but in a way that doesn't destroy the fence, let's say. I, I think it was very interesting. The founder of Spotify was talking about how there is a need in, especially in medical space, to be able to accelerate the testing the way we're able to test in software, for example, so to be able to be more agile and do more testing and do all these things. So maybe at some point it kind of becomes some kind of way to kind of bypass the consequences to some extent. Have a way to either do better simulations or have more different ways to kind of reproduce the safer environments that are not necessarily based on actual humans or animals getting hurt. Yeah. Do you have another quote you'd like to look at? Well, let's talk about Gretzky, skate to where the puck is going to be, <laughs> not where it is now. You're a hockey guy. Yes, that, that famous speaker, Wayne Gretzky. He is on TV right now, and he's not very, not very great, I would say. He was better as a hockey player. So the quote to skate where the puck is going to be, not where it has been. I think it's, it's been, I've heard it in a bunch of different concepts. And in a lot of ways, it seems to be used to hide some of the thinking. Like, I can tell where the future is going to be. I have that kind of vision, that kind of insight. And there's a kind of reversion to that idea of being a visionary, like the, uh, it's important to have product vision. You can kind of see these different schools of thought where I think it might be a re rejection of the idea of this very analytical testing and this experimentation that is more scientific as a scientific basis. I think there might be a, a pendulum swing in this case that is bringing back people towards more vision. I do feel quotes like this can be, can kind of hide a lot of the lack of actual analysis. SK to where the, the puck is going to be, not where it has been. Sure. Okay. You have foresight that other people do, but maybe you don't. Like it's, it's easy to frame yourself as a visionary until you're proven that you're not or frame yourself as someone that is able to predict the future, uh, but very few people really are in reality. So I do feel there's some, it's kind of a convenient way to hide some of those lack of proper analysis that, that some companies may not be doing. I agree. I have a couple of thoughts. I think to the extent, for example, if you're looking at the demographic situation and we know the number of five-year-olds available today, we have a pretty good idea of how many 60-year-olds are going to be here in 55 years, right? Because the five-year-old is a fact. Akoff, in his idealized design model, essentially says you should design for the current requirements because that's what you know are the facts. And so there is a risk with this that you get into some kind of shared consensual illusion about the future, right? And everybody knows you accept common knowledge, right? And I think that's that there are risks. Most of the time as entrepreneurs, we make money where we've figured out that common knowledge is wrong. And so you have to be very careful about trying to predict the future. Yeah. There was an interesting book that I had read about how basically the predictions around evolution never works out in big part because technology can be predicted and technology tends to act as multiplier of change to some extent. So like the way life was before we invented, for example, gene modification, all these things, and the way things might be in the future might be completely different, but they never came up with like the CRISPR or the other innovations that are required for this. It just creates new thread. So all predictions are very difficult. I don't know if you've read the book, Principles by Ray Dalio. Yeah. Yeah. I did love this and I do think it's, it is, it should be at least in, in the direction of where things have to be going in the sense where you 
you minimize the impact of specific people's egos or their own biases as much as possible because those tend to be kind of get multiplied, especially as the companies become larger. It creates more blind spots, more things that are not thought about, not looked at, not considered. So it, it is a, a good idea to go a, a little bit in the reverse direction where you're not just assuming that the person knows what the future will be or where things should be and where that ultimately is just guessing usually most times. Well, let's do one more, maybe the famous Henry, Henry Ford quote that if I'd asked the customer what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. You want to kickstart that one? Well, it's very unlikely he ever said it. And if you read his autobiography in there, he points out that the idea of an automobile was widely visualized. He was not, he didn't make any money doing the automobile at all. That's not why he was successful. He was successful for the way that he built the automobile, but not for the invention of the automobile. So he actually, um, I think there's like multiple layers of misunderstanding. I also think this gets conflated with the, I know what's better for you, or I'm, I'm a, yeah. it's a variation on the Gretzky problem. So I'll, I'll, I'll flip this to you. Yeah. 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 It, it is like, if you are looking at mentions of it, like for sure, it, it doesn't come from that. Like it's been used so much. And it's one of these quotes that's very difficult to like trace back to its actual origins, which is kind of interesting in itself, but it does feel like one of these excuses. It's like a Trump card in a discussion. It's oh well, your data is invalid because Steve Jobs said this or because this. I heard there was a time where I actually came up with like a variation. And I don't know if you've ever heard of, what's his name? Godwin's Law. Oh, the Nazi thing? Yeah. yeah the longer a discussion goes on, the yeah. more likely there, there will be mention of Hitler. And yeah. I think it's the same thing. The longer like people work on product together, the more likely there will be a mention of Steve Jobs. I do feel it is very much reality and, and having a background in UX research and all these things and having a lot of people that I know that are from this field, it is something that they hear oftentimes and it's usually that decision maker that just doesn't want to have that argument. In, in the absence of like saying that your data is invalid because Steve Jobs means that my opinion as the hippo is the one that should rule and win this discussion. I do feel that it's also kind of false. Like when people attribute that, that Steve Jobs was not doing customer research. I think Apple does customer research, but they don't do it necessarily in the exact same way that other companies. And I do feel the actual persona for all the products at Apple was probably Steve Jobs himself. So it's not like he was not customer focused or customer centric in any way. They probably are more than most other companies. They just do it in their own little ways. I do feel that it's probably a warning sign oftentimes when people are quoting this inside organization. Yeah, I would say it's a very serious red flag. Yeah, yeah. In my book, Solving Product, at the end, I tried to put some kind of framework and now you can evaluate organizations. Say you're an employee going to work for a company, kind of evaluate their customer centricity from the outside. So especially as you meet either product managers or designers, they will often get frustrated working in organizations that are ultimately making their work irrelevant where you're doing like this customer research, you're spending weeks looking at the customer data, but then that, that completely gets side, side track and the discussion ends up being made about something else. I know that's a very strong frustration. So that's kind of why I was pushing in that direction. And I think it's, there's something to that, how you kind of understand how, how 
companies make decisions at these. So it's interesting of the four we looked at, I think actually there are probably better ways to phrase, more positive ways to phrase, fake it till you make it, move fast and break things. And then I think their use is also red flags. And the faster horse is definitely, hey, I'm the, I'm the visionary in the room. Listen to what I say. Don't listen to the customers. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do think that Gretzky quote. It, it makes sense if you're an athlete. Well, sure. also, if the puck is sitting on the ice, then if the puck is not moving, if the puck is like stopped, then, okay, you should go to where it's stopped. On the other hand, if you can project its trajectory, I think there's actually yeah. more truth there's more truth in the grit. The There's physical world. The yeah. physical world. The, the trajectory of the puck in some ways yeah. is more predictable than... Um, yeah. It's like Hunter saying, I'm going to shoot where the bird is going to be, not where it is right now. Like, for sure. Right. It, it's physics. Like, you're not going to shoot where it was before because that doesn't make sense. And it's the same thing right. in, in ice hockey or most of the sports. But when you apply that, and that's, I'm pretty sure he's never intended this to become like a, a poster, startup poster, because people do tend to bring it in other fields, it doesn't all the same meaning when you take it in a different field where it kind of becomes, I'm, I know better how things are going to evolve than this, which is not what you're thinking when you're thinking about the ice puck on the, on the ice. I think as well, whether it's a bird on the wing or a puck on the ice, that's moving much faster than most social technical systems. So if you're saying is this organization going to adopt this new technology? That's normally going to be measured in years or at least seasons, not in days or weeks, right? So in a sense, the social, the social systems are much more slow moving and they actually have change layers where there's a population that's spread out between the old and the new. So yeah. Yeah. So if we look at their little exercise here, like, what do you think, what do you make of startup posters? Well, I collect a lot of quotes. So I try and pick quotes that are useful. I think that to me, the thing to do a little bit is to dig into the context of, because a lot of times a quote gets slimmed down and used in a certain way. And I think if you go back and look at the real context, you get a lot more out of it. So oftentimes, Startup posters persist because there is a, a, a core of truth in them. It's not just a, because you don't see posters say, just be a jerk or, you know, whatever. Right? <laughs> well, I guess yeah. just do it is close. Yeah, but, it's kind of that. You know, That's exactly what I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah. So just do it is about overcoming your fears in a different way. Yeah, I, I think that's probably how like ideas transmit to some extent. The, the simplification is part of the, it's a built-in part of this idea i i do feel right. like some of it is it, like i don't think it is. other than the maybe the faster or score i think all the other ones have some inherent value in them and a lot of the quotes that i've seen on your website as well are highly valuable so yeah i do think there's like a fine balance between value and over simplistic uh belief obviously it is it is a, a function of where we are today where there's a lot of physics on shorter content and shorter shorter opinion, but I do feel there's still value in some of these, these ideas. You just need to pick the right ones. So, so this has been a different thing for us. I think we would ask listeners to contact us and propose other startup posters they've either found helpful 
or they yeah. think are misleading people. And we might do this again in a future episode to deconstruct a few more. Awesome. Just reach out to, on Twitter to Sean at SK Murphy or me at E. Garbingly, and I will see you in a future episode. Well, there you have it. We look at four startup posters that all contain elements of startup wisdom. Fake it till you make it, move fast and break things, skate to where the puck is going, not where it's going to be. If I'd ask people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Which one is your favorite? Which ones do you believe in? Reach out on social media, leave a like, leave a rating, subscribe, and we'll see you in the next episode for more actionable advice and strategies. 